0: I'm Liam Ford, founder and CEO of The Zone and welcome to the Barefoot Boardroom podcast where we get our shoes off, get down and dirty and talk grassroots to some really interesting people about the things that light their fires. Sometimes controversial, sometimes funny, always informative. Today I speak with Asa Cox from Arcanum AI. not a not a real tech guy, but he runs a bleeding edge tech business focused on machine learning and AI. And as you know, AI can be pretty controversial, even spooky for some people. So let's hear what Asa has to say. Hey, and welcome. And this morning, I'm with Asa Cox, although I screwed up his name at the the beginning and called him Orsa, but uh, (laughs) I, I know now it's Asa or uh, maybe even a different pronunciation anyway so uh, welcome and uh, yeah so uh, tell us what brought you here and what you do and uh, then we'll jump into a few curly questions.
1: Perfect thanks Liam Um, yeah I pronounce it Asa it should be Asa because I think it's Hebrew by origin but yes as you say also is Swedish and Japanese version but even though it's three letters, I've had many different pronunciations over the years. Um, I've been called an ass. And many I times. believe
0: I believe you. You told me you were uh, blocked from getting into some hotels in Sweden because they expected a woman,
1: right? Mm, absolutely, yeah. I don't know how many people fraudulently try and get into rooms with a different name, but clearly uh, they don't like that in Sweden. So yes, it makes me memorable for better or yeah. for worse. I guess my. Yeah, it depends what situations you're getting yourself into. Again, thanks for having me on. Really, really excited to have a chat. I've been in New Zealand eight years, moved here from Canada uh, and from the UK originally. I'm a non-technical founder of a AI company, which probably seems very bizarre. But and for me, I've always been in business, entrepreneurialism, strategy, business development. So for me, it's been a lot more about relationships, Um, I was in the pharmaceutical industry for 15 years doing international business development created a data IP company off the back of that and that took me to North America where I kind of began to see artificial intelligence bubbling up out of academia into the real world When I came from Canada to New Zealand it was then a chance to pivot my career I did I've got young kids so I didn't want to leave the country to do consulting which is what I was doing and so I Literally created a new LinkedIn profile, started drinking lots of Wellington coffee and craft beers, and and basically just started um, you know trying to find a new opportunity, and and AI ML became that opportunity.
0: For those listeners who don't know what ML is, and well, most people know what AI is, artificial intelligence, but ML might be uh, mm. a stretch for them.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you, you kind of clump them together, but you're right. Uh, machine learning, so the ability of a computer or its algorithms to be able to improve over time. So using the data that goes in, they the algorithms have pattern recognition. And so as new data comes in, they adapt themselves to be able to give better outputs. So typically you kind of see that in predictive analytics. So for example, customer churn, for example. So you have a, a model which would predict that this customer is going to leave, but as the data changes, um, then it will adapt and change the predictions.
0: Okay, so it's sort of real-time learning in a way so
1: mm, absolutely yeah it, it can be done you know once a year or it can be done once a second if you think about uber it has machine learning running on your cell phone and so it has to do it in real time because it's part of that user experience but if you're at a utilities company you may do your customer churn model once every month or once every year so it's kind of a bit of horses for courses in machine learning and AI.
0: okay okay cool so for all the listeners, because they know that uh, the zone here is about uh, making organisations more human, and one of the questions yeah. that's going to be on everyone's lips is, "Hey, is AI going to take over, and are we going to be slaves
1: to the machine, or you know, wh- mm. what's going to happen?" Yeah, uh, I think it's a journey, right? Like like spreadsheets were when you know when we were still using the abacus, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you also hear industrial the fourth industrial revolution and that kind of stuff, and I think it's. It's a valid position. Yes, there are going to be some jobs which are going to be automated and people are going to be out of work, but there's also going to be a a new technology, artificial intelligence, which needs to be fed and watered and looked after and ultimately is still designed by humans. Um, And it will also, for the foreseeable future, augment the human workforce. So the idea would be to make it so that there's more productivity, there's less brain dead work people are happier in their jobs because they're not doing repetitive tasks you know so it's kind of how do you remove what humans don't want to do and give that to the machines to release the humans to do what they want to do how do you get them to be better performing how do you get them to be happier in the in the workforce Mm. so i think we've got to view artificial intelligence not as replacing humans but supercharging humans uh, because that just puts it in a much different mindset and i think that's one of the the barriers we have as an industry is how to move the the rhetoric from the this image of um, robots and a production line as a company into uh, exoskeleton suits like on a Marvel movie, right? How do we actually supercharge humans rather than replace them?
0: Okay, so that that's really cool. And then, what do you think are going to be the early jobs that are going to be um, you know taken taken by machines or this machine learning or AI?
1: Yeah, I I think there's repetitive tasks. I mean, the data entry stuff, the you know, copying and pasting things from from written forms into databases, even low-level advice. So if you're having just to look something up in, if you can Google the answer and give it to somebody, that's also going to be automated, and it will. That that obviously covers a lot. So if you if you even if you're in a knowledge-based industry, if the knowledge is readily accessible with a Google search that kind of job will be replaced because information now is ubiquitous. Access to information is ubiquitous. It's really how do you build that into a a product or a service or an organization and therefore into a job? They're the ones that are going to be at risk. So really the thought is how do you add more value over and above just a a task or a piece of knowledge?
0: Mm, Okay. So I know this number here is going to mean something to you, 2468, uh, <laughs> yes. So <laughs> tell us what that is, and and tell us why you know you've started also working with some environmental firms to accelerate mm. you know that uh, decarbonisation and other things that mm. you're doing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, my, my kids, I've got four of them, and yeah, they're two, four, six, and eight. Three boys and then a girl. Um, that's a different topic. And and so for me, kind of looking forwards with a lens of what's going to be disrupted, what is going to change. You know, because of the, you know, the recent focus you know, of governments around the world on um, the emissions targets and that kind of stuff kind of going well, we're involved on the periphery of some projects with electrification, so vehicles and fast chargers. Um, we're also starting a collaboration with Kogo, the company for good here in Wellington, on, on carbon assessments. So we're kind of beginning to like, how can we use artificial intelligence to accelerate the decarbonisation process? And a lot of that is people just don't know how to do it. Um, so they don't know, like Koga I've identified, they don't necessarily know the purchase decisions they're making. What is good for the the planet, or better for the planet, and what's worse? And if you take that into businesses and from a procurement perspective, how do you know what is the best vendor to use if you're buying a product? You know, you look at the supply chain. How much carbon is being consumed through this supply chain versus another supply chain, and so. It's kind of knowledge is power. And that's really the first part that we're focused on is how can we use AI to elevate the awareness of decisions that can be better for the environment. Uh, and so that's um, you know, utilizing a lot of the work that we do with natural language processing and pattern recognition to be able to enable some of those things to be possible.
0: Mm. And, and what about uh, health? I mean, how, how is AI and machine learning going to impact health?
1: Yeah, I we, we saw during the pandemic that you know a lot of progress was made around the modeling of the spread of it, you know, using artificial intelligence. Um, there's now a lot of um, drug candidates being identified through artificial intelligence. As I said, I spent 15 years in pharmaceuticals. So for me, it's really interesting seeing those kind of worlds come together. We, we're working in, in some areas of health. So we're working with a company out of Singapore who's putting in clinics in Indonesia Using cell phones as the data collection tool, so they are taking selfies and we're estimating BMI. They're um, taking um, photos of people's faces quite close up and we're estimating blood oxygenation. So it's kind of it's beginning to ta- use AI to take better healthcare to you know, the remotest parts of Indonesia, which is which is really cool. We're then working with another organisation who uh, has diabetes uh, management. Um, software and so they want to know are people doing their blood glucose levels correctly so there's a whole bunch of different ways that ai isn't necessarily going to replace doctors or the healthcare system but they're going to really enable better health management and for for me it's how do you get to fully personalized management so we know spotify we know um, netflix and we know how great it is because it's personalized for us why can't healthcare get to that point? Why can't education get to that point? Why can't transport get to that point? So on and so forth, right? As we're giving away a lot of data, there's a lot of data out there. How do we get it so it works for us rather than it feeling like we're giving and not getting much back for it.
0: Mm. So here's a bit of a challenging question. So let's say we're improving health outcomes. But, you know, recently in the news here in New Zealand, at least, you know, the healthcare workers are saying, hey, we're, we're burnt out. We're, we're like yeah. struggling where the healthcare services is, is really, you know, there's some issues with nurses, the number of nurses yeah. available. How are you going to, uh, you know, not only improve the outcomes, but improve the outcomes for the people that are working in that industry? Because they must be right. stressed. They must be, you know, getting burnt out. They're struggling. So...
1: Yes, no, absolutely. So kind of looking at the, the system itself and how I, I can improve that. So you've got little things around shift patterns and shift work. How can you begin to identify the optimum pattern for health of the workers rather than the convenience for the hospital or whatever it may be? So looking at rotors and shifts, how do you begin to, if the staff are wearing kind of wearable trackers, how do you begin to identify elevated stress levels and fatigue and exhaustion how do you begin to look at the inefficiencies in the system to say this person is running around the hospital non-stop whereas if it was a different kind of setup then they would be you know less frantic mm. how can you push some of the triaging out to the edge um, we're working with an indian company to try and introduce um, covid triage algorithms so when you when you present yourself with your vitals they would know what what treatment pathway to put you on so there's a whole bunch of different ways I think to make the system be more efficient to the benefit of the staff and the workers in the system, um, rather than just healthcare outcomes.
0: Mm. Okay, so what should we be afraid of then with this AI and machine mm. learning? I mean, we all many people have seen those Terminator movies and you know, mm. you know, I Robot and whatever yeah. they are. Uh, I'm showing my showing my age now, but but you know, and, and there'll be more of those to come. So, mm. what should we be afraid of? I mean. You know what are we teaching these machines, and what what should yeah. we be afraid of, and how do we how do we change that?
1: Yeah, that, that was when I started talking about this in New Zealand well, eight years ago. Now that was pretty much the the only conversation was, "Are you talking about Terminator?" <laughs> and so that that, that has been you know, the prevailing you know, sci-fi movie positioning that kind of AI has been battling with for quite a while. But it is also a, a genuine concern if we don't do something about it. So. You know, similar to the environment, you know, we don't want to get to the point where it's too late before we do something. AI is definitely moving at a very rapid pace. Um, it is able to consume all of human knowledge. There's these massive models, one called GPT three and GPT four is coming soon that can write movies and write your emails and you know be as good as um, you know a lawyer to respond to queries. So again, that knowledge is coming. And if it gets into the wrong hands, so all innovations can be used for good and for bad, and we have to mm. be very conscious of that. But also at the moment we're still in control. So my view is, for the first time in human history, we have the opportunity to not give the robots or the AI all of the bad parts of humans and what we've done and the mistakes we've made and the biases and all of that kind of stuff. We have the opportunity to cleanse the data set and, and you know and make a good. AI and so I think we've got to really be very conscious around what are we feeding into these AIs what what's the what are the boundaries and the limitations and the controls because if we lose the ability to pull the plug or change the data set then then yeah it's kind of like a, a, a virus in the wild and that is that is going to be something that we should be conscious of we shouldn't be scared of it at this point but we should definitely be conscious of it and make sure um, that we're putting the right boundaries in place are those
0: boundaries placed by individual AI businesses, or is there some sort of global, mm. you know, governance?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And that, that's the kind of things that Elon Musk and others have been talking about is um, there needs to be some kind of UN for AI type, type situation. I, I believe that each country will end up having a, a minister for artificial intelligence or minister for AI ethics or something, because... The ways in which AI would need to make decisions will be impacted by culture and, and localization. So everybody has probably already discussed over over dinner at some point the autonomous vehicle challenge of who do you what decision do you make? if you've got you know, a couple of teenagers on this side and you've got then a, an older couple or a mother with a baby and you've got to take out one of those three, which one which one does the autonomous vehicle choose? As humans, we may think that we wouldn't be able to make a rational decision and therefore it's all subconscious, but that's still training of the human brain to do that. In an autonomous vehicle, you've got a rule set, right? It's going to have all of the information. And if it believes there is an equal probability of not being able to save one of those groups, somebody somewhere has to say, choose this. And that shouldn't be left in the hands of one organization or one person. It needs to be some level of even national debates to go how does ai make decisions and that could be very different in new zealand as it could be in you know south africa as it could be in 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 hong kong so i think we really do need to think about the existential questions about ai and, and have some kind of you know national engagement around it
0: mm. okay so here's here's another challenge for you which is what happens when ai becomes sentient so it believes in its own way, and it has its own values set, and you know its own belief and its own decision-making models. And it's gone. Okay, mm. you've you've set me free. I'm now sentient. So, to all intents and purposes, it's, it's another it's another being. Mm. How
1: do we how do we handle that? It's an interesting question, right? I mean, my um, my chairman, Scott Houston, has written a book on that very topic, actually. You can reach out to me if you uh, if you want to have a connection to get a copy of it. And, it. and it's interesting, right? Because then you start going, what is consciousness? What is a being? What is sentience? And what makes up that? So then you kind of get into quite an interesting philosophical discussion around it. But on the assumption that it has some autonomy and decision-free, freedom to make decisions, no matter you know, what your philosophy is, then you still have to start thinking about how do we control it? How do we... Pull the plug on it if it goes rogue and starts making bad decisions, and I think that's something which we still haven't quite, you know, thought through the the kind of the thought processes. At least not it and the masses. Maybe there's think tanks around the world doing that, probably quite likely. And I think when it's making at the moment, AI is still making decisions by itself, but it's in a very narrow domain. So you know, there isn't a human watching what you're watching on Netflix saying, this is the thing that you should watch, right? The AI is making decisions and predicting what you want to watch. And so it is already autonomous in that respect, but in a very narrow domain, that same AI couldn't say this is what you should eat for breakfast based on your health profile. So it's it's when it has the ability to cross domains that it's going to become really powerful. And that's called general intelligence. But that's still a long way off um, in terms of um, being able to be you know, rapidly deployed and cost effective and that kind of stuff. So I think we've got a while to wait for that. But we should still be very conscious of the what if scenarios and and make sure we've got sufficient control and boundaries um, to be able to deal with it.
0: Well, you know, I've worked around the world and uh, some very interesting places. And I know it's even when people go crazy and they get power and uh, the ego and <laughs> it takes over you can't pull the plug on them either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, ends, true. it yeah. ends up in war. So, so you know, probably mm. AI is is going to be, uh, you know, thinking about the consequences a lot more than, than many, many humans do because it's probably going to be able to look at the history of things like war or et cetera mm. and go, hmm, should this yes. be a good decision?
1: Yes. Well, no. So long as it's programmed to all, never get to that point, right? And that, that's... That's still the opportunity we have is to say never escalate beyond this point. I think what's interesting and, and kind of triggered a thought around that is power at a human level is typically around the influence you can have over other people, not just mm. the decisions you can make. But, and so how does AI get influence over lots of humans is going to be very difficult, but interesting. Some may argue that that's what's happening in social media mm. uh, in terms of being able to shape the way people think. But that's not the AI doing it. It's the human inputs and the human clicks and whatever else. There are ways in which we can address that. But in terms of yeah, the escalation of power of a sentient AI, then you've got to be able to influence people. Um, and that's a very different, you know, different kind of thinking process.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it seems that there are some humans that can influence people for the good and mm. there's some humans that can seem to influence people for the bad. And um, mm. Now, I was listening to an interesting podcast this morning on, on health and uh, nutrition, and they'd done an analysis of, I think, you know, several hundred influencers in the UK, actually, and um, what they were promoting as healthy foods or promoting people to eat on their podcast yeah. or just by placement of product. And I think it was something astounding, like 95% of their advice wouldn't meet the standard government advice wow. for, for good nutrition. Yeah. So uh, and these are the uh, these are the main social influences uh, mm. in the UK. So wow. so you know maybe ai can you know become a better influencer as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah, you're seeing the rise of digital influencers. It's quite interesting. You can find them on Instagram and TikTok and all other places now where it's not a human which is giving out the messages. They're actually digital um influencers uh, and so really? they're not always driven by ai um but they are not humans doing the influencing so it's you, know, you can imagine for kids if there was a pepper pig influencer then they'd, they'd be pretty powerful but oh. as as adults it's still still very much the same if you identify with the caricature then you will listen to the advice that it's given even if you know it's not from a real human and and it's it's really becoming quite significant and from the, the organizations and the influencer agencies that are being successful, it's pure profit, right? They haven't got to pay a human to be the influencer. They're just creating these digital influencers. So we definitely do have to be very conscious of that. And what does that mean for, for our kids? But also, how will it influence yeah, our eating habits, our, our leisure habits, our education patterns, all that kind of stuff? It's, it's definitely a, a new world. Uh, And that's before, you know, we get into the wonderful world of the metaverse and web 3.0 and that kind of stuff. So there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting challenges and opportunities ahead.
0: Yeah. So how do we inoculate ourselves from that influence? I mean, you know, this is an age old question. How do we, you know, you may or may not have an answer, but how do we inoculate ourselves from this influence so that we can take the inputs from external sources and then make better decisions but we're still Mm. you
1: know our own agents Mm. i think what we would do offline we should begin to think about online right if we if we are around people whose influence we don't like we stop you know interacting with them we kind of stay away from them if we have the opportunity to do so and we can do the same thing digitally, right? There's, it's not as if we have we, we don't have any choice to consume all of the information. We are still in control. We can still not click on this thing. We can still not spend more time on this particular social channel. But I think also we we need to take a step back and go, what do we stand for? What are our morals? What are our views on the world? What are whatever? And kind of think about personal integrity and say, well, what are the standards that, you know, that how that I want to maintain and then become more conscious of influence. Uh, cause I think that's that would be my concern both for the world at large but again when I think about my kids is do they are they going to have their own inoculation to use your word do they already mm. know what they kind of stand for and are they conscious of influence because if you're not conscious of it then it's just going to keep on going in you're subconsciously going to be impacted I think that's that's the real fear
0: yeah so it's almost like uh, everyone needs to understand what their what their values are what their you know what their goals are in life and you know what what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing and what am I not doing that I should be doing <laughs>
1: mm. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. cuz then then you have you know purpose much more clarity on your purpose you have much more clarity on your achievements in life and what you what you stand for i think i think there has been a, a big disconnection especially through the pandemic, when people are like, well, what am I doing here? What is the meaning of life, as it were? Do I enjoy my job? Do I like my friends? And there's kind of lots of existential crisis that people are having. And I think that could be a good thing. I think it may actually force people to actually articulate and think about what they stand for. And hopefully that means they won't be um, the victim of some of this digital influence, which is certainly very powerful.
0: Yeah, I, I know that myself from traveling around the world. So I've worked in 35 different countries now, like face-to-face with thousands and thousands and thousands of executives and people. And, and you know, I was finding that same uh, existential crisis. They, you know, they'd get to a point in life and they'd forgotten who they really were. You yeah. know, they'd forgotten their values. They'd forgotten their purpose and, you know, what they set out yeah. to do because it's a, it's a tricky, tricky landscape business. And so... I actually designed a program deliberately for that to get people back on track. And, you know, hundreds of CEOs uh, of businesses have gone through that and course, course corrected. Mm. And, you know, so, but that, that, you know, I'm not using AI, I'm (laughs) using pen and paper and uh, flip chart
1: and, but I think the process is the same. Right? And I think it's really important for people of all ages, um, because if you look at whether it's Maslow's hierarchy or, or whatever you want to use, you know, um, we all want to feel like we wake up in the morning and we've, we've got something to achieve and we're valued and, you know, we're having an impact on something, whether it's, you know, workplace or kids or family or the environment, whatever. And I think you're right. I think that's kind of been lost. And maybe it isn't being established early enough in our kids or through the education mm. system and so on. And it's certainly something that we, we need to look at. And and AI can probably play a part in that to help scale the impact. But we really need to, as a human race, start um, really focusing on that as well.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting if you study Maslow. I mean, you know, everyone thinks, you know, hey, self actualization was the top of his pyramid. Well, the other thing is he didn't have a pyramid, but don't tell anyone. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually, actually wasn't. You know, Maslow was. They're intensely interested in society and you know human flourishing, mm. and so the, the pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy was actually transcendence, mm. which in actual fact is hey, I've got myself to a point where now, you know, my attention's not on myself anymore; it's on the service to others and helping them and mm. raising raising society. Because he knew if we didn't raise society, then we were then we were always going to be troubled by it.
1: Whereas, if, yeah no totally so and if you're going kind to of see that in organizations with the different types of leadership right servant leadership is becoming pretty big and mm-hmm. you know narcissism is becoming a bit more of a challenge in organizations so absolutely i think um the outward looking impact on society is is really important and if you look at the millennials for as of much as that's a label um you know i find in the workplace that many of them do want to be connected to a purpose. Right? They want mm. to be values-driven. They want to really hold to um, the the values that they believe to be important. And if they can't achieve those in the workplace, or they see they're conflicted in the workplace, then it becomes a big big challenge for them. And I think whilst it's confronting to Gen Xers or Boomers and so on, because that then calls into question loyalty and so on and so forth, it's also a healthy perspective to have. Is are we connected to our purpose? And so yeah, I think it's it's super interesting.
0: Yeah, well, the, the CEO becomes uh, not the C, not the person, but the values and the purpose. Right? That's who mm. I report to. Yep. I report to those, mm. and I've found exactly the same working with uh, Gen Zs. You know, as they move into the work into the workforce, mm. they're in fact even more intently uh, focused on: Is this the right thing for me? Is it the right thing for society? Is it the right thing for my friends and family and peers? and are we doing the right thing? So I think, you know, Gen Z is even amplifying that. So it's going to be a really interesting to see that, that uh, Gen Z generation bleed into the workplace. But, um, Hey, look, we could probably talk for, uh, talk mm. for hours. I think, um, we have a lot in common about helping organizations be more human and, and optimizing humans rather than scaring them. Uh, mm. so, um, give us a bit of words, a few pearls of wisdom. You know, what, what would you like to leave our audience with? And then finally, how do they get hold of you? Because I'm sure mm-hmm. lots of people will be like, hey, this is so interesting. And, you know, uh, how do I get hold of you? So what's your pearls of wisdom? Yep. and How do
1: we get hold of you? Perfect. I think one of the, the real important things is to just start experimenting. I think there's a big a big misconception that anything to do with AI or machine learning is a big project, really hard, needs lots of experts. And I really want to dispel that myth. That's what our company's focused on is making it very quick and easy to get started. Unless you can develop a culture of experimentation, where your outcome may not be achieved, but your learnings are an outcome by themselves. I think that's really really important, and that could be across any function, you know, from procurement to sales to whatever. It doesn't really matter, but starting somewhere is important because. Otherwise, you will very likely be left behind by competitors, or you'll have a workplace where Gen Z is disconnected because they're like, why aren't we doing more of the stuff that we know is possible? So that kind of experimentation piece and the mindset is really important. And I think really now, beyond a few of the laws of physics and biology, most problems can be solved with technology. Uh, And that may be quite confronting to the human race, but also means... A, we should have unlimited, expansive, exponential thinking. So if we're coming across an opportunity or a problem, assume that it can be solved with technology and then figure out whether that's appropriate and how do you start going on that journey. So again, they're kind of very closely connected. But for me, the mantra is really, you've got to start very, very soon. Otherwise, you'll be left behind by the pace of change. Um, And that's, they're the conversations that we want to have with people. So. If people are keen, I'm more than happy to, you know, drink you know, coffee or, or wine and have a good discussion with people around the ideas for their business. That's what I, I love to do as an entrepreneur. Is just. You know, have those conversations about what could be possible that really kind of gives me energy so you can reach out to me on on linkedin i think it's asa cox nz is my linkedin url we're also on on twitter i'm now experimenting in tiktok if anybody's in there that's an interesting world that i've just got into or you can just drop me an email which is asa at arcanum.ai that's dot .ai
0: fantastic how oh, well this has been a, a great conversation and and look i've come away with more questions than than than, than answers and good. but also more excitement you mm. know so i'm like wow this is this is pretty it's a cool. wonderful
1: time to be alive it really is as much as there's a lot of fear around there's a huge amount of opportunity and impact we can have and you know we want to harm and the good of humans to really make a big difference
0: that's fantastic all right well asa thanks very much and uh We'll uh, see you again soon. Thank you, Liam.